With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Russ Jones and Brad Kennan. We are wide open. How are you, my friend? Good. How are you doing? Good to see you. I just want to say in advance, I'm not trying to blow you kisses, but when we were coming on, I could see this little gnat flying in front of my face. So I was blowing at it, trying to like get it out of my way here. All right. So, uh, so I'm doing good. Feeling good today. That's good. It's great weather here in the mountain state. Uh, I was out in the woods today, uh, you know, it's in the round, I got up to 50 today. We had about five inches of snow on the mountaintops. So I drove to a remote place, hiked up a mountain, went back in a couple miles trying to see if I could get lucky and find a track of which I have never found a snow track. All right. You ever seen a snow track in person? I mean, of a Bigfoot, no, but of a dog, yes. And a dog horse, is. yes. And a rabbit, yes. And a cat, right. yes. Yeah. Uh, but not of a Bigfoot. Yeah. I was going to ask you that question. I don't know if you're ready for my question. Did you have anything always, going on exciting that you wanted to tell me about before I ask you my question? Uh, no, besides I finally got my power back about 30 minutes before our show came on. So that was good. I don't have to be, I don't have to do this from the cab of my truck or something like that, you know, driving around trying to find Wi-Fi somewhere. So no, that's good. we're I'm good. Good. Yeah. All right. So here's right, my go question. question. Go ahead. So, you know, of course, you and I are on on the internet a lot. We're monitoring these things. And I would say in a normal year, there's probably in a winter three to four legitimate Bigfoot track finds in the winter. There's probably a hundred tracks that people think they're a Bigfoot, but it's really some type of galloping dog or, you know, a coyote or snow, whatever it happens snow to be. Melt, you know, something. That's yeah, snow melt. That's right. Bit. You know, so it's got a little why, bigger than it should have been. Why do you think we're not finding more Bigfoot tracks in the winter? Because people aren't looking for them. Um, people aren't going five miles into the woods at, and during the winter time where there's snow on the ground. Um, unless a Bigfoot lily walks up to their house, you know, walks around it um, and walks back out into the woods and they've had maybe some things happen. Uh I just don't think people are looking or people don't know to look or, you know, they're out now they're out on their, uh, on their uh, side by sides and things like that. So 
they're not going slow enough to find them. Mm-hmm. B, maybe they probably just aren't looking for them. Or C, they just not really paying attention. And they see something going across the field, and they just think, oh, well, there went a, you know, a, a whatever, a, a, a galloping rabbit or a dog or whatever that is, or a deer track, and, you know, we're just going to go right on, right on by it. It's always surprising how many people just want to, if it's in a straight line and it's, you know, 14 to 20 inches long in terms of the opening in the snow and, you know, four or five, six feet, then, you know, they want to call it a Bigfoot track. Right. And, you know, we, I see a lot of them, a lot of them get sent to me. And of course, you know, there's, it's really hard to tell the great majority of the time, you know what I mean? Whether it's a Bigfoot track or not. I, when I was out today, I was thinking about this exact thing and, I mean, I think the primary thing, if I had to guess, was just the rarity of the animal, that there's just not that many of them around. But I just have a suspicion that the area that they are in, that they go to the most remote, inaccessible section of that during snowfalls. And maybe they're not that active. I mean, but, you know, some of them are large animals. They have to eat. So, you know, they, where was it? We uh, took a report where the guy had found, like, three rabbits were stuck in the snow with the head off or something. Somebody we, you uh, and I were talking to. We're doing was that just on our podcast or something. You know, maybe it's something like that, you know, that they have something set it, up where they could buy eat. a cave or something. And, and they thought they were, uh, uh, that was the gentleman. I think that we just had on the, I think his show drops this week. Okay. Uh, Wayne from the Bigfoot Odyssey. I think maybe he was talking about it. I can't remember. We've done Sauce so many. But... Or that Bigfoot podcast or something. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I just don't think that they're uh, they they're way back in farther than I went today, and I'm sure I was much farther than you know. I mean, there was no tracks anywhere when I was at. As soon as I got to this remote location, I'd forgotten how hard it is to uh, you know to walk through the snow when it gets like five inches deep when you're going up a mountain, and. Uh, then as I age a little bit today, I was like, gosh, maybe it's a little sketchy because you just can't see, you know, you're on a trail. You're just out there hiking up some mountain. And there's a root and a stick and you, you know, you slip and fall on ice and it's, uh, you know, something to consider. Like, so, you know, you're doing your podcast with a torn meniscus and, you know, on a bed somewhere. I didn't want to say ACL, so I don't want to jinx you. Yeah, I appreciate that. You do the uh, SOS call from your iPhone for somebody to come and get you, you know, because right. you're hugging your your lab to try to stay warm after the sun sets. Right. right. When you get you one of those Garmin watches or one of those $25,000 bright links and you just pull the rip cord, you know, and an antenna pops out and it calls. Well, you know, if you ever got your drone or a large drone, I could send you a message. You could fly over, hover, pick me up and take me out of the woods. Right. You know, we've been talking to our buddy, Jeff. Mm-hmm. He's a drone guy. He's a BFRO guy. We'll get him on at some point. But, you know, I sent you that drone they were looking at. and That drone was $600,000. It's got a jet turbine engine on it. And it will fly for three hours and 40 miles. So it's basically like having, you know, a Reaper drone that, you know, you're, they're flying in Iraq, except it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a rotor unit. Um, because you know you're you're flying off cameras and sensors you don't have to look at it you don't have to be near it you know you can take it out to a truck somewhere and take off and this thing you can fly it from 40 miles away didn't you tell so, me it has sensors so that you could actually set it so that if you were looking for an upright animal or human so to speak 
that uh, you know it could zone in on that. I do believe so. I think that Jeff, we could ask Jeff that in a little more detail. Yeah. Um, but he says basically you can put any sensors on these things you want, and it's it's amazing. So it's a Swiss made drone, but that's our next purchase. So as soon as we, I'll get to go fund me up for six hundred thousand dollars, and uh, I'm sure we'll have it next week. Okay. So anyway, let's All go right. for it. So tonight we do have a guest. It's not just you and I talking. Um. It's a buddy of yours. Yep. You've been on several of his, or you've been on at least one of his programs, maybe more. Um, more or more coming. More coming. Is more and more coming. I've done correct. a couple of because, them. And, because I saw an Instagram post. I looked on the Instagram post. I'm like, it's like Russ Jones right there. And next thing I know, it's got Seth's name on it. And it says an upcoming documentary with, with Dr. Russ Jones and Seth Breedlove. Welcome to the show. Um, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for, thanks for having me. That snow thing made me think of, um, when I was first getting into all of this back in like, oh man, it would have been like 20, maybe 2014. I was hiking near river sticks, uh, out near Wadsworth, which is today. It's like an overly developed little suburb outside of, uh, Medina, somewhere between Medina, Ohio and Cleveland and uh, river sticks had their own monster during the, the seventies into the nineties. The last known sighting that I'm aware of was like er very early two thousands before all the heavy development started. But I was out there at a Metro park hiking in the snow and found, I mean, I was so psyched when I found this because it looked like a, a trackway through the, through the snow way off trail. I was off, off trail and I found this trackway running through the woods and uh, I took a picture and I sent it to Mark DeWorth. And that was the first time that Mark, uh, that I had my, my hopes as a big footer crushed by someone. <laughs> <laughs> Mark was like, uh, that's, that's those, uh, those shoes with the toes. Oh, those uh, feel didn't feel make those or something yeah, like that. Something yeah. Like that. They used to be popular <laughs> for a little while. Yeah, for especially for like running, I guess was like yeah. a big thing. So I the barefoot stuff. Yeah, yeah, that there was another time I found tracks, and Mark told me it was a rabbit, which was also the first time, you know, I was really aware of how how much a rabbit, you know, jumping through the snow can look like footprints in the snow. So how'd you ever jump found through the tracks? snow and then get some, then it gets some melt, you know, and they make mm -hmm. it looks like a footprint. Have I found tracks? Yeah, or? have you ever found tracks? I mean. I found a track out at the cabin where I had my sighting um, and, and um, I casted it. I mean, I'd never casted anything before uh, Mark Matsky and I did it. And, uh, and then Cliff came out and, and looked at it. I took the, actually, I took the cast to Kentucky so Cliff could look at it because we were doing a, an event together and he crushed my, my hopes at that point and said it there was he said it could be a track but he was like there's not enough distinguishable from the cast itself for him to say one way or the other i'm convinced that was a an actual track because of the fact that the night before um it was a single track but it was standing on a kind of a muddy slope and it looked like it had just turned to walk up the hill and it actually slid a little as it was going up the hill but the night before right where this thing was we had heard this really weird kind of uh, murmuring or mumbling um that that went on for maybe 45 minutes um so i'm, I'm convinced that was a 
that was a cast or a track because we had just a ton of activity out out at that property over the course of like two months and um and there was something that had been over there the night before that i i believe was one of these things was it like the samurai chatter no it wasn't like i i don't even know what to compare it to and i actually think it it's been a while since i went back and watched the bigfoot project because that's where we documented all that stuff um it might be on audio um it's just a very um like um no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say chatter. I've heard that. I've heard, I've heard the whoop. I've heard, you know, I've heard a lot of stuff. I've never heard anything like this. It was a very deep, uh, guttural kind of, um, murmuring is, is about as good as I can get because it's not, there was no language. There was nothing going on. It was just like, like that. Hmm. It was almost like it was singing as creepy, as creepy as that might sound. Um, and this went on for, you know, a while. I said 45 minutes. So that's probably an exaggeration, but it's been a while since all that took place. It was 20, I think it was this, the f- late, late summer and very early fall of 2021 when all this happened. And that was also when I saw one of, one of them out at Heather's. It was actually Heather's property out, out near Minerva. What do you okay. call us, Heather? Heather, your producer, or Heather? Heather's our researcher, but she is in a producer role now. Um, okay. she, she just came on full time uh, back at the tail end of, of December. So Heather's a researcher producer. Okay. So when you say Minerva, that's are you are you are you in Ohio? Yeah. Okay, so you're up north that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in Bolivar, which is um, no one knows where it's a yeah, it's I a tiny. It's a tiny town off of uh, 77 um, between like New Philadelphia and Canton. Um, It's 15 minutes from the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but it's it's a very rural. I always think of that area as kind of like the the gateway to that that part of Ohio that is like it looks like yeah yeah kind (laughs) of like that. Uh, It's like as soon as you leave Canton and head south that the terrain change changes dramatically down there and it really kicks off right around Bolivar, which is also like, I guess the way in Bigfoot terms, the way you would put it is that is the Northern sort of tip of Don Keating's Sasquatch triangle. Cause that would be gotcha. Strasburg is kind of where he draws the line on the triangle, but um, you know, Bolivar's right there. Okay. All right. So how long have you been doing this and you know, how'd you get, did you always want to make movies and shows or, you know, what do you got going on right now? Um, I've been, yeah, I've been making, so small town monsters have been around since 2014. That's when I filed the LLC and started making Minerva monster. Um, okay. It was supposed to be like a little free YouTube movie. Uh, right. We were, we were going to post it. We, we assumed it would be a 20 minute movie. Um and it ended up being a close to an hour and um, we were able to, to, I, I was writing for newspapers at the time uh, okay. for the Canton repository. I was doing movie reviews, Maslin independent. I was a freelance reporter. Um, and so I used the contacts I had in the local media to kind of drum up attention for the movie. And it ended up sure. being a lot bigger locally than we expected. Um, and then that just kind of snowballed into the next movie, which is beast of Whitehall and then boggy Creek monster. And then Mothman and point pleasant is where we really took off on the national stage. Um, and, and then we just 
you know, one, one year after the next. And here we are today. Um, I was not into, I was definitely not into Bigfoot growing up. It was not something I was super aware of. Um, I probably, I don't think I got heavily involved in it or at least even mildly involved until maybe 2006, 2007, before I started like, you know, watching documentaries and reading the odd book here and there. And then that, again, sure. that kind of snowballed over time. Um, and then I, I got to the point where I was interested enough in it that I wanted to kind of look into it for myself. Um, and I was at that point, I was starting to write for the newspaper. So I, I was kind of, I was excited about the idea of taking what I was learning, doing as a reporter and applying it to big footery. Um, and so I had, I had a friend who went to church with me. Um, actually the guy who ran the soundboard with me, uh, uh, Don Marchand. Um, he passed away the year that I put out Minerva, but I have his Bigfoot statue in my front yard still today. <laughs> um, yeah. but Don's the guy that got me into it. And in, um, 24 or 20, it would have been like 20, maybe 2010, something like that. Uh, he told me about, um, this lady he knew, she was a dentist. Her husband was the DA, uh, the district attorney, I think for, for in, in the city of Canton, um, Stark County, I guess. And they owned a ranch outside of Bolivar and they claimed on, and in, Russ, I might've told you this, but they claimed that their entire time living at this property for like 30 years, like raising kids and everything there, that they had been visited by a family of Sasquatch and that they were so like familiar with each other, the family and these Bigfoots, that the family could follow these things on horseback to a cave. They knew where they lived. They knew how many young there were. I mean, this is like, and this was blowing my mind because this is back when I, I kind of was buying into it, but I also assumed that everyone that claimed activity must be nuts. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how else to put it, but that was just the way I, I, I thought of things. And, um, I met them. I met these people and I talked to them and they seemed legit. And I still don't know what to think of the story because it's so over the top. But did, the, did they tell you, hey, you know, oh, by the way, you know, we have dinner and we go out on a horse. And yeah, you can you can. And it's not just them. It's the it's the husband and wife and their children. The, well, they're not really? children. They're, yeah. The girl actually runs the dentist uh, practice today. You can ask them today and they will tell you the same story. Um, really? Yeah. And I don't know what to make of any of it still today. Um, no evidence though. No evidence. Um, no. And, and the story is so outlandish. Um, they would, I believe they would feed them. They would, they would put scraps out for them. Um, but this, the part of the story that always seemed the most just bizarre was that they, they claimed they could follow them on horse. They would follow them on horseback to where they lived. And, um, and you know the uh, so the interesting thing is so I find this story I'm I'm flabbergasted by it I go down to the road um, on the on the south side of Bolivar and this would be the north side the absolute north side of Strasbourg um, there's a road called French Hill Road there's another road called St Peter's Church Road and I would drive these roads and then if I saw people I would try to stop and talk to them <laughs> and just to right. see you know like <laughs> do you ever have anything happen out here. And, um, one time I was driving around and I, there was an elderly couple walking down the street and I pulled over like a crazy person and got out and started talking to them. And they proceeded to tell me that during the seventies, 
there were all sorts of sightings down there. Uh, just those, that specific area, um, the St. Peter's church road, French Hill road. Um, and that they had, there had been numerous reports, uh, not reports, I guess they would have said neighbors talking to them and things mm -hmm. like that of, um, deer and, uh, livestock, uh, stuffed up in trees, ripped in half, stuffed in trees, things like that. Um, and then I started, I, I might've even talked to Mark uh, DeWorth and asked him about it. And I found out that that was like well-known, like that that particular part of Bolivar was like well-known for Bigfoot activity. The interesting thing about that is that during the seventies, eighties, nineties, even into the early two thousands, that was, all that property back there other than the odd home that was owned by you know these people that had lived there for generations um all that property back there was owned by like a coal mine or strip mine it was strip mining land but i i forget the name of the company that owned it and they in the early 2000s had just started selling off little parcels of it and so now today if you go back there there's actually a good number of houses and things like that back there and I haven't heard anything about activity down there, you know, since the, since the early days, but that's, that was the most roundabout way of telling you how I got into all this, but that's how I, that's how I got into it. Gotcha. So were you involved in it when you had your sighting or did you have your sighting? Then you got more involved in it. No, I was very involved. That was just, my sighting was 2021. Um, so I was, um, we were filming a series on Heather's property, um, Heather Mosier, she's, you know, again, she's, she's small town monsters researcher. She's a book editor. She's, she's a, our secret weapon. One of our she's many secret wonderful weapons. person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, she, um, she has property outside of Minerva uh, on maybe 400 acres. Um, the, the street that they live on down at the end of the street, which I say street, but I mean, it's a, two miles down the road, her mother-in-law had a sighting back in 2017 during the winter um, of a Bigfoot. And obviously Minerva, you know, I made my first movie in Minerva. Uh, so there's activity there um, that goes back way, way further than people realize. I mean, the, the activity around Minerva stretches back to the, to the probably late 1800s, but at least to the 1950s is the earliest witness I've interviewed. Um so there's, there's activity in that area. We had filmed, we had brought in Alexander Petikov and Eli Watson. Um, they had just finished up doing like a crazy two week shoot out in like Colorado and Utah. And they'd been doing all this crazy back country hiking and all this other stuff. And I'm like, why don't you guys come to, come to Minerva? Um, you can camp in the woods. Uh, there's a hunting cabin there. I can bring my at the time he was three, my son, my four-year-old son, I guess he was four, four-year-old son. And we'll all camp out and just have like a small town monsters camp out, hang out. Um, and there had been activities. Some stuff had been happening on the property that Heather was aware of. Um, she was kind of into the gifting thing. I don't think she called it that, but she was putting out stones and stuff in the woods and things would be taken and then replaced with other things. And a lot of weird stuff like that was going on. So we had, um, we had brought in Alex and Eli and Heather was there. Courtney was there. Tommy and I were staying at the cabin. So we're all down there for kind of like a fun weekend camp out. And Alex and Eli were going to shoot an episode of beyond the trail while they were there. Um, 
and there was some weird stuff. The one night they were sleeping in a in in their tent. Alex and Eli were sleeping in their tent up in uh, this chunk of woods, this chunk of forest uh, at the top of the hill, kind of from where the cabin is. The cabin sits down in this tiny little. Uh, it's basically like a holler with a with a spring and a um, forest, like pine forest on all sides. It's really gorgeous there, um, but they were sleeping up in this in their tent and had heard what they said sounded like bipedal footsteps just stomping through the woods in the middle of the night woke them both up um the only really weird thing that happened to me was that two o'clock in the morning the one night um everyone had gone off to do their their bigfooting stuff and tommy and i were laying down to go to bed um or had already laid down to go to bed. I got him in bed at like nine o'clock. Everyone else is going off to have fun. And I'm in, I'm in bed with my four-year-old because I just got to go to bed. Uh, and so Tommy and I, you know, we're sound asleep two o'clock in the morning, a wood knock goes off right outside the cabin. I mean, right as loud a wood knock as I've ever heard. And we heard a lot out at that property, especially. Um, so this wood knock goes off and I get up and I go out and no one's out there. And so I get on the radio and I say, you know, where are you guys at? Alex at that point was in a tree stand surrounded by coyote. So he, he was not anywhere near us. Uh, and the rest of them were further up toward the other patch of woods, the same woods that they had been sleeping in. Um, and so I realized it probably was something other than, you know, one of, one of them. Um, so that was the weird thing that kind of happened. And then we, we had decided to make this series about Bigfoot out there. And it was going to be kind of, uh, uh, we would bring in a guest each episode interview them on the property and then them and I would go out and do some Bigfooting on the property. And the idea was that nothing would happen. So let's frame it as more of a podcast and we'll do it that way. Well, like the first night out there, it was, I mean, I've been Bigfooting in area X. I've, I mean, in Oklahoma, I've been out with the Olympic project. I've, I've gone to a lot of the hot spots in the country. I'm not on the level of like Alex, but I've been to a lot of the spots and the, the activity that we had that night was the most activity I've ever experienced anywhere. We had numerous wood knocks. We had whoops. We had uh, rocks thrown right, right at us, like by our heads, um, all sorts of stuff happened. And then the next day we were out hanging trail cams on the property. And that's when I had my, my sighting, we were in a, like a gator crossing a, a pipeline. And I looked up the pipeline and this dark Brown, individual was crossing the pipeline the clear cut of the pipeline into the forest and i saw it for maybe less than a second okay. and just for you know covered in fur I, I say fur because it wasn't hair i've heard the hair reports you know people say long stringy um long stringy hair what i saw was like thick fur like you would see on a dog um but this thing was running um at a I mean, a, a ridiculous pace and you could see it's uh, arm pumping. And the, the only thing that I mean, my brain locked on to the muscle in the arm, like there was muscle ripple in the arm when it was moving. And um, for some reason, that's like what my, my brain locked on to. Uh, how, so how far, how far away from it? You know, hundred yards, maybe okay. um, 75, hundred yards. And it was up a hill and between us was, I said clear cut, but in Ohio, you know, it was clear cut, yeah. but all that brush comes up. Yeah. So you had probably six foot tall um, thorns all the way up the hill. And that was what was so weird about it because my, I could not figure out how I, what it looked like to me was that this thing was running on top of the brush 
which was not possible, you know? So what ended up happening is uh, they brush hogged that hill a week later and we go up there and find that there's a path uh, clear, uh, just a dirt road that runs from the neighboring farm over to the next farm. And so whatever this thing was, was running on that, on that dirt path, dirt road. And um, so whatever this thing was, was just crossing the, crossing the clearest path it, it had. And from my point of view, I couldn't see that road, but the brush had stopped just below the road. So to my eyes, it looked like it was running on top of the brush, but it was running on this path. So um, I have no other details on the thing other than it was like a dark brown and, and the fur was just, just thick fur. It didn't look long or anything. Was it going the same direction you were? No. Well, no, it was not at all. We were going, no, we were going um, this way and it was going that way. And when okay. I, when I saw it and we're on a hill, you know, so we're on a hill and when I saw it, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I screamed stop. But as I screamed stop, I had already jumped out of the eight, the gator, which was doing mm-hmm. about 20. So, and we're on a decline. And so when I hit the ground, I'm doing that, like, are you your own stunt man? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Uh, and so I, thankfully at that time I was like fairly in shape. So when I hit the ground, I was able to keep on my feet, but could have been bad otherwise. Um, but maybe three weeks later is when we found that track out there. Um, and then unfortunately over the course of the next five, six months, the activity out there really declined. But what was happening was the neighboring property, which is where I think these things were actually kind of hunkered down. The neighboring property is huge. It's got far more water flowing through it. There's more water there. There were probably more deer over there. Um, that all started getting clear cut to make way for, uh, 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 like a dirt bike track that ran through this property. Oh boy. And over the course of the next year, they essentially clear cut that whole property. And then they started redigging the pipeline on Heather's property. And so the activity dried up. Um, we had cliff out there in April of 2022, um, right before we went to Alaska and it, it him and I experienced something, but it wasn't on that property. We went out to a nearby lake and had a call that we caught when we got to the to the lake, but we didn't experience anything on the on the property. And that was kind of like the story of being out there over the you know the first month and a half, the first like six eight weeks. There was plenty. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Of activity. It did decline over that six to eight weeks, but... Um, but after that, by the time the winter really got going and the and the the leaf canopy had fallen, the activity just declined. And then today, I mean, Heather says that there's like nothing going on out there. Like she'll, it's it's like we hit the perfect window to have, you know, the the experiences we did out there. But I don't think they'll be back because of the amount of uh, development that's going on. Um, not just on that property and the neighboring property, but even within a two mile radius, there's, there's a lot of development, a lot of houses going in and things like that out there. That's kind of the story of Ohio, at least this part of Ohio I'm starting to think is like the activity you hear about these stories from the seventies and eighties of all this activity in these locations. And then you go to the location, you just find developments everywhere. And there hasn't been a sighting since 87 or something. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I keep running into. Gotcha. Um, so you've been all over the world, you know, doing your show. Like I said, the the famous one, uh, you know, there's a fa- that famous one with several episodes up in Alaska. Um, have you ever been out and, you know, had things happen while you were filming these things? I know you've been in the woods with, with Russ on an occasion. So um, specifically Bigfoot related or well, I don't know anything. I don't care. You know, mountain lion attack you. That'd be a cool story. But. <laughs> well, I have a mountain lion story with uh, Shane Corson. Pretty hilarious. Where uh, we were, we were in the OP. It was right before he got me horrifically ill with like the worst about of altitude sickness I've ever had. I blame Shane entirely for it because he marched me up this mountain and back down the mountain in like an hour and a half, and then I spent the next three days vomiting and oh my, sick out of my wow. mind. But uh, the same day, the same experience, we we were on our way up that hike, or it might have been back down from the hike, and um, I heard what I thought was a baby crying in the woods. And I said, "There's, do you hear what sounds like a baby? And uh, Shane, Shane stops immediately and gets his gun out, and I'm like, well, this must be serious. And so he right. crouches down, he looks into the brush, and he goes, there's a mountain lion. And I said, what do we do? And he goes... We just got to run at it and hope it works out. He grabs his gun, just goes <laughs> running into the brush at this thing. And uh, I mean, it's myself and Mark Matsky, you know, who are like, we're from Ohio. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, we're just standing there looking at each other like, what do we do? And uh, thankfully, whatever, you know, running at it, I guess, worked and it left us alone. But no, um, you know, Bigfoot related, I guess the craziest thing that happened on a shoot is that uh, in 2018, we were blessed, I guess, to, to go into Area X with the NAWAC. Right. And um, it's not, we were the first people, we might still be the only people, I'm not sure, to, to actually go into X itself. Not, you know, I know the Rob Lowe show filmed near there, but they weren't actually in X. Um, right. So Alton Higgins actually took us into X and uh, we got to be in there with Kathy Strain and Bob Strain, who were like two of my favorite people on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in there with Daryl Collier, who's one of my, my absolute heroes. Yeah. Um, we had Daryl come on. We have Kathy coming on. Awesome. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the sweetest 
people. Daryl's deceptively sweet because you see this dude and you would think he's like, <laughs> like he's gonna murder you in your sleep or something. Like he's yeah. this, he's this hardcore like you know military guy, uh, but sweetest sweetest guy I I've met honestly. Um, but we're in there with them and Brian Brown, and um, we we had numerous things happen. Um, but probably the craziest was um our we were only we only got to be there for three days we had a very finite i mean this was like the earliest days of small town monsters um budgets were like non-existent i think we filmed that whole thing for like four hundred dollars um so we had no time to do anything so we're in there for three days and the entire time and we were there in like july or august so it was brutal because you're down in this valley there's no airflow there's there's like no breeze um and you're basically in like an inland rainforest um and i get migraines so the entire time we're in there i have a migraine headache so for three days i have a migraine that no matter what i did i could not get rid of it i have prescription pills they were not getting rid of it so i have this migraine for three days the final night we're 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 done we've experienced a lot of stuff i have some really cool footage of eye shine that i shot in there that i'm convinced was a bigfoot um so we had done that already and we go to bed and um it's late at night i barely slept all the entire time because of this headache and um it was about maybe two or three in the morning and i had just fallen asleep and as soon as i fall asleep a rock slammed into the metal roof of what they call the hooch which is basically just like a the shed that they had built in the woods so the rock slams into the roof of the hooch the, it was so loud. It sounded like a gunshot going off. I sit straight up in bed. I'm in a tent with, in my cot, I'm, I'm in a, a tent with Adam Dugan. He sits up. And then as soon as that happened, there was a, a whoop that sounded like an Apache war whoop from a John Wayne movie. Like that's Jeez. the way I say it. Like it that's sounded, it sounded fake. Like it sounded like a, like a, like it was designed and uh, it was like, whoop. But then there's a pause and it broke into what we described, what we now ca came to find was basically like gibbon laughter. So it sounds exactly like a gibbon in a zoo laughing, but at like an obscenely loud volume um, to the, it echoed across, across the valley uh, when it went off. And I, I jump out of that tent. Adam jumps out of the tent. And um, when we were out of the tent, Brian was already running toward us from his tent. Daryl busts out. This is the funniest mental image. I've, I, I, ha I still crack up when I think about this. But Daryl busts out the door of the cabin they built in nothing but underwear. It's like his boxers holding like some huge assault rifle. Like I don't right. some gun. Like he's got he's this a, massive a, gun a, in his hand. Yeah. He he busts out the door in that. Uh Bob never came out of the tent, but Kathy, or no, Bob came out of the tent, but Kathy was in there. And I just hear Kathy go, I didn't hear anything. Wow, <laughs> so, one of those sleepers. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so that was probably the craziest because that uh, that happened at a time where I was very much convinced. I had, I had shifted from like a point of, I think these things are real to a point of, I don't think these things are real. Really? So when, yeah. Because I, I mean, you got to think 2018, I'd already filmed probably seven, eight movies. 
across the country and I've been numerous places. I'd never seen anything. I'd never experienced anything. And so I was starting to think there's nothing to it. And then, that, so that moved the needle on me or for me to, to maybe 70, 80%, like these things, these things are out there because there's no explanation for what could have done that. You know, there's, there's the, I know when this came out, there were people that were like, well, it's probably people. Well, I mean, we've heard him describe area x there's there's no people around Uh yeah so it's um that that was probably the craziest thing that's happened to me that was bigfoot related about a year ago we saw a bunch of my crew including zach who i know russ met um zach is the most skeptical person i know Mm -hmm. I, i grew up with zach he doesn't I mean, just being totally honest, he doesn't buy any of this. Doesn't doesn't. He's into filmmaking and making our movies great. He does not buy any of the stuff. And uh, he, with his own eyes, saw uh, lights in the woods, like orbs, um, mystery lights. So that was in no way necessarily connected to Bigfoot, but that was that well, was probably the weirdest thing we had happen as a crew was mul- numerous members of our crew and a lot of uh, Eric Altman's. Uh, group in PA all had this you know, visual of, of we, we had a, we had somebody on not too long ago and they basically said they were walking down a path and they saw this orb you know this light in front of them and yet there was a Bigfoot behind them making mm. noise and it was like hey there's something over here don't look at me behind here mm. remember that was about what, three or four episodes ago Russ I can't remember who that was yeah um, I, I just think that the people are like you know what I mean? When they see the orbs, they're out in the woods doing Bigfoot stuff. So then they naturally associate the two and they may not be associated at all. That's right. my that's my stance on that. I think weird stuff in general happens in the woods. Yeah. So so connecting it with Bigfoot is kind of the the go to now, but I don't I don't connect the two myself. Um yeah, but that was how that those are the two probably weirdest things that have happened on a on an stm shoot you know i can remember being in a similar place as you the first this would have been probably 15 years ago now the first two years that i was in the bfro i was taking all these hot reports doing i don't know how many a lot of expeditions a year and i didn't have anything happen for two years that i couldn't explain you know just i was in the best places with the best people and just nothing was happening, you know, but you went to all these places. You went to X, you went to the Olympic project, which is um, up in the Pacific Northwest. You've been all over. Is there any place that when you got to it, you're like, this is the best looking place I've ever seen. This looks like if there's a Bigfoot's going to exist, this is the place you had that impending sense that you were just in the right place at any of these places. Most, I think most of them, like, especially, you know, area X is like, as soon as you see it, um, there was a guy that used to be an X. I can't even remember his name, which I feel bad about, but, um, he was in like the, the British paramilitary. I, he was, he was like British, uh, he, he would like parachute into, <laughs> into battle and had gone, he'd served in Africa. I know I told you the story, Russ, but yes. he told me that X was, more remote and more difficult to get into than locations he had been to in Africa. Like it's, wow. 
when you go in there, it's actually really intimidating and scary. Not, it wouldn't be for you, you guys, I'm sure, but it, it, for me, it took a two hour drive on this dirt road down into the middle of nowhere. And the entire time you're thinking like, if something happens in here, like an right. emergency situation, yeah. you're not getting out of here. Um, and then you get in there and the first thing they do is sit you down and go over their plans for like, if something happens while you're in there and they actually kill a Bigfoot. That was right. like what our experience was in there. It was like, if some, okay, say they shoot something. Well, this is what happens. This is where the body goes. This is where this goes. And then this is how the cars convoy out. And this is what you have to do to get out of here quickly. And so the whole, that whole experience was wild, but the Olympic project is like the same thing. You go out there. I'll tell you, like people underestimate the Adirondacks. Like I, I I've, that's one of my favorite places on earth. Um, and I made two movies there so far, but I mean, I want to do so much more just cause it's my parents went there on their honeymoon. Like it's, it's something I connect with my right, family. That's cool. And, um, and so the Adirondacks, people don't realize how back country that is or how massive 6 million acres. It's like, you know, it's, it's a massive chunk of, of untamed land. Mm -hmm. And, um, so those, those three places always spring to mind, but I mean, Minerva, you know, what do you, what are the odds you're going to find something there? Well, then something happens or you go to Alaska. It's like, it's, for me, Alaska and Minerva are almost opposite ends of the spectrum. Cause you go to, you go to Alaska and it's so big and so untamed. Yeah. That, yeah, I believe that they're there. I really do. I think they're, I think they're hundred percent there. You're never going to find a Bigfoot in Alaska. It's like they might walk in front of you or something if you're lucky. And I've talked, you know, like I had a crazy experience in um, Switzerland of all places. I went with my dad and my sister to Switzerland back in September. And we're in this, we're on Jungfrau to get up to the, to the peak. And um, we're in this line and I, I start talking to these people next to me and the lady, the lady, um, it was this guy and this, this woman and, and the woman told me that her brother, they had been staying with her brother in Alaska and they live in a tiny town just outside of Homer. And, uh, I knew right where they were talking about, cause we stayed in Homer for four days when we were there. And, uh, she was telling me that while they were there, her brother had a Bigfoot cross the road in front of him. And this Holy was like, God. so, I mean, that kind of thing happens in Alaska, yeah. but what are the odds you're going to go to Alaska looking to find Bigfoot and actually find it? It's it's just not going to happen just given the size and scope of it. And then on the other end of the spectrum is Minerva, which is like, yeah, it's rural, but there's very few, there's these pockets of forest in, in Minerva, you know, or very patchy forest. Most of it's farmland and then patchy forest. And yet that's like where the stuff happened for me. It's like After fishing we, in a pond, man. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's something to be said for me spending a lot of my time in Southeast Ohio versus West Virginia, because West Virginia, they just move back a little bit further in the woods than I can get or over the next mountain or whatever it happens to be. But in Ohio, there's only so many places for them to be. That's why it seems like in places like Salt Fork, they've become a little tolerant of people. You know, they may interact a little more there. I mean, where are they going to go to? You know what I mean? There's not that much room yeah. for them to get away. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've talked to Doug about that, you know, that these things may be closer than we think they are. You know, they're scavengers. They get used to being around dumpsters and corn cribs and 
farms with, you know, barrels of, you know, sweet feet in them. And it, it's easy. You know what I mean? It's sort of like the, the city mouse and the country mouse, you know, that city mouse gets used to going to the grocery store and just buying food rather than going out and actually having to look for it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, okay. I got, I got, I got asked go. this question. So I was curious about, it. of course I had a bunch of questions I'm not going to be able to get to, but so let's say that you had a unlimited budget and you, you're going to put together your dream movie. What is that going to look like? Is it a documentary or a narrative? Do Either you want. Yeah, whatever you want. So documentary, it's Ape Canyon. Oh, okay. I, I do something on Ape Canyon and I do it with Mark Marcel. Yeah. Um, if it was a narrative, my my son is begging me to make a narrative about the Flatwoods monster. He's, he's upset. I made a documentary about the Flatwoods monster and he watches it all the time. Yeah. So it would be some sort of narrative film about the Flatwoods monster. But the, the ape Canyon story is like one that I've been since the earliest days of even doing like my podcast before I, before I started working on small town monsters. Um, that story has always really appealed to me. And the there's weird aspects to that story that haven't been covered too much that Mark, you know, Mark has told me about Mark Marcel has told me about. Um, but I'm also just, I love the historic cases. Like we got to cover Ruby Creek in, in on the trail of Bigfoot, the yes. origin. And that's like a, a classic. Like yeah. I love, I love covering my parents owned a historical bookstore growing up and I traveled and my parents we're obsessed with history. And so I think that's where that, that love for that kind of stuff comes from. I'm also really scared of seeing some of those classic stories lost over time. Yeah. Like the Ostman story and, and Ruby mm -hmm. Creek and all this, a lot of those. And so Abe Canyon's the one that like bucket list kind of thing. And I don't, I'm not, this isn't an announcement, but it kind of is. But we are making an Ape Canyon movie. It, it'll oh, happen. Nice. It'll be it'll be next year. So, but that is like that's the one that I've wanted to do. And you could go back, like if you listen to any interview, going all the way back. That in terms of especially Bigfoot stories, that's the that's always been top of the pile for me. It's like the one I wanted to do. I want to say that I I don't remember if it was Mark or maybe Cliff had told me or someone told me that. Uh, Mark had a book coming out soon. So there were some yeah. things that happened or associated with it that people aren't, you know, there aren't public yet. I guess everybody's mm -hmm. kind of holding back waiting for Mark's book to come out or without. But I mean, I remember Cliff telling me it's a health hazard to get to that spot that it's legitimately not very safe Yeah, to get over that hill. Yeah. We're, we're working through, we'll be filming out there in July. So I'm working through figuring out how we're doing all that. Yeah. I can remember them saying that, you know, they used to be able to find the wood from the cabin, but now uh, after the last snowfalls and some other things and flooding in that area, I guess that it's pretty much gone that, you know, you know where it is, but you know, you can't see it any longer. Yeah. Well, I mean, does that ever make you go back? I mean, in, in nine years you've went from, it was this no budget, you and a couple of your friend thing to now. I mean, it's, it's gotten large. I mean, your your biggest movie has how many views? Which one is it, and how many views does it have? Um, well, weirdly enough, I think the thing that's been viewed the most is on the trail of UFOs, which a lot of people don't even know exists. But it was it was viewed 
across the eight episodes, it was viewed 50 million times. That's crazy. So it's, it's a, that's, that's definitely like the most viewed thing that SDM has done. Um, the movies, I'm not sure. I would I would think it's on the trail of Bigfoot, the discovery, the one about the Olympic project. I think that's the biggest movie we've made. I know, I know, I mean, it's wild. Um we we made we made the Mothman of Point Pleasant in 2017. In 2018, I was doing a library presentation and had a phone call from um Adam Wingard, who was at the time he had just signed on to direct Godzilla versus Kong. And he calls wow. me and he's like, he's like, uh, I got your number. I hope it's okay. He's like, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, which was like a bomb. Like no, no one had seen this movie. And I was like, okay. And he's like, uh, so we talked and we became buddies. And he messaged me a week ago. And was telling me he was in the editing bay on uh, he's making Godzilla versus Kong too. And he's like, our color, he said, you're going to get a kick out of this. Our color girl, the the girl doing the, the, the color grading on the movie um, noticed that there was a Mothman pin that he had snuck into the movie as an Easter egg. And she wow. said, she said, Oh, I love Mothman. And he said, you know, one of, one of my good friends is a filmmaker who makes movies about, about, cryptids and she goes is it seth, <laughs> seth wow <laughs> and i go i mean that's that's a wild thing because he had also told me so when they used to have a godzilla writers uh writer or not directors like they have these all the guys that made the godzilla movies so gareth evans um adam mike doherty one of the others um oh uh the guy that made skull island they would do dinner um Peter once Jackson. a month no, it's not. It's not that one. It's Which, the skull. It's okay. um, Voight Roberts is his last name, but I can't remember his first name. But anyway, they would get together and they would have dinner. And apparently on numerous occasions, the dinner ended with them watching one of our movies. And so it is weird because you think that that equates to some sort of like wild success as a company. But the truth is like we're still we're we don't our budgets haven't changed. We still make movies on. Uh, the the average budget for an SDM movie is ten ten thousand dollars, and I tell every and 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 most of the time it's considerably lower than that. So we we still live as a company. We're very frugal. We aren't tied to any major corporations, so we don't have millions of dollars to play with. We do everything independently, but there is an awareness of us that I don't know that has. I, I mean, obviously, in order to continue to do it, you make money doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean I'm, that's how we that's how we run as a company. But okay, that's I how mean, Russ, I mean, Russ and I might get kick in a couple bucks, and maybe you can do a movie. Yeah, I mean, but we we run, but it is it's all independent, so it's all extremely um, low budget still today. But the did I I never saw it getting to where it is today. I don't think when I quit my medical billing job in 2015 to focus on this full time that I thought it would get to where it is today. I quit my medical billing job because I was like, I was in the middle of making Beast of White Hall and I knew I was about to go on an eight day or 10 day shoot, whatever it was to Arkansas with Lyle Blackburn to make Boggy Creek Monster. And I was like, to do that, I can't have a full time job. And so I did that. And then we, you know, as a company, we made no, I've, I've told, I've told, I tell this, the crew this today, like 
as a company, we didn't make money uh, all the way through probably like 2020. There was no, like we were, we were surviving just, just on what we made as a company. That's how we, we just put every dime back into the company. And so uh, to grow it, to where it is today is crazy but i mean today it's no easier we're in the middle of a lawsuit with our distributor because they they haven't paid us since june um and so it's no it's no easier but you you know we we've we've managed to grow which is the big thing and just piggybacking off of something russ said the crew that is involved are largely they're all friends obviously but they're all people i either know I've known since I was a kid or they're people who I was friendly with or became friends with before we hired them. There there's, there are all people who I genuinely love and love to work with. And that's why we work together so well as a crew. So Alex had been doing movies with SCM all the way back to 2018 when he made uh, on the trail of champ and Eli started working with us because he just randomly showed up on a shoot in Washington, uh, that Olympic project shoot. And, um, it's, it's everyone involved is, is somehow we're, we're a very close knit group, but a lot of these people are people who I've, I've known for quite a while. So where do you go long-term? I mean, um, do you miss more of the small days? Or are you excited about the direction you're going? You know, what, what do you have, where do you see yourself a couple of years from now? Um, do I, yeah, I definitely miss the old days, but just because, uh, the thing that I've noticed is your, my, my creativity was more, um, was probably flourishing more in the early days of SDM because of the fact that that's just me being brutally honest because of the fact that I was, I wasn't as I didn't have to, I wasn't pulled in a billion different directions. I was kind of able to focus on one project and it was just me and my ex-wife kind of running, running the show. And today it's, there's nine people that work here and we're all, we're doing uh, like in three weeks, we're going to be filming a huge series. Um, about ufos and then right after that we have to film two other movies to finish out the year and then we got to get other shows running so there's always that that kind of thing but the good thing about like growing is that over time uh once enough people are in here i can focus more put put more of my focus back on the creativity um i hope that the the i hope that i don't think that that shows through in the work um, but I have noticed I had to shift the focus of the types of films I was making from the more like a lot of our movies were very like narrative driven. So uh, Bray Road Beast and Mothman and Point Pleasant and uh, Mothman Legacy and and all these, they're very much focused on like recreations and like really creative recreations and and special effects and things like that. And that takes a lot of time, energy and money. And so for the last two years, there's been less of a focus on that and more of a focus on like topics that we can kind of tackle without, um, I guess it's the style, the genre of documentary. It's more of like a verite style as opposed to the more like narrative driven style of, of some of the early stuff. But I think next year that's, that's already starting to change. That'll change this year. Um, 
we brought our effects guy is back uh back on board for lost contact and uh so i think that'll change even before the end of this year but i definitely that was a really good question by the way no one's ever <laughs> no one's ever asked me that i do miss i i really miss the the earliest days but the where we're at right now is infinitely more exciting than anything we've ever done before because um we're we're launching uh i i mentioned it to you, to you guys privately beforehand but we're we're about to launch like our own um basically like a television channel and so once that happens we'll have positioned ourselves as a distributor and then kind of the sky's the limit as far as like what we can cover and and the people that are involved are so talented. So will, will that be on like a Roku channel or something like that? It's going to be, it's going to be, uh, across the board. The, the, uh, Roku is, is one, but there's numerous other platforms we're working on getting gotcha. on, uh, including like spectrum and direct TV. So this isn't gotcha. solely going to be relegated to like a streaming channel. Sure. Gotcha. Okay. Seth, can you believe an hour went by already? I can't. Anytime I'm with Russ, this is what happens. His interviews, I interviewed him for probably four and a half hours combined over the course of shooting uh, Mountain State Monsters last year. So you fell so, asleep. That's why it went so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always so tell I, people I know you that, got uh, something. Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, I know you got something coming out with Russ here before too long. What's that? Uh, yeah, we're going to film. We'll be filming on the trail of Bigfoot, the ancients, uh, this spring. And that's going to be, um, that's going to be sort of the companion piece to on the trail of Bigfoot, the origin, the origin was, uh, it's not out yet. I have no idea when it's going to be out because of our distributor. Um, but it should be out sometime in the spring and then we'll be filming the next movie right around the same time. It's going to be focused around the, the, uh, smoky mountains and, um, uh, we'll be utilizing Russ's expertise on the Appalachian Bigfoot. I'll be excited uh, to get out there and spend some time with you. I know every time I do, I mean, I have done a lot of interviews and hundreds of podcasts. And I'll tell you, every time I'm with Seth and his crew, they just make you feel so comfortable and it just is easy. And a lot of times it's just not like that at all. So, I mean, awesome. truly professionals, but I can't wait to see you here in a couple of months. Well, I'm sure I'll see you before then, but um, looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm excited. And, and, and how how can people watch what you got, see what you got, you know, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, the um, so each week we're uploading new stuff to YouTube. So YouTube's okay. kind of a home for okay. for the episodic content. Although the episodic content is my not migrating, but uh, expanding over to uh tubi as well so the series that russ was in uh mountain state monsters that will also be seen on tubi as well here pretty soon um okay so which, which youtube channel which uh, it's just small town monsters okay so small town monsters for the youtube stuff for the feature films those are available on most major streaming platforms so amazon and yeah. tubi and all the you know all the big Pluto, uh, Voodoo, all that stuff. Um, I think I beyond that, we do uh, book publishing at Small Town Monsters, which we started last year. We've got new books coming out, but we do have a few out right now. There's one by Bruce Hallenbeck uh, mm -hmm. about about the Kinderhook creature, and then we uh, published a book last year about the Dogman Triangle 
um, by Aaron Deese. And then there's a children's book we did by Michael Strayer um, about the vegetable man of West Virginia. Um, So that was a children's book. And then um, our Kickstarter launches on February. What is it? Like February 1st, I think. So if you're into our stuff and you want to own it on like DVD and Blu-ray, that's a great way to get our stuff on DVD and Blu-ray without shelling out extra money on our website. It's basically like a big pre-order campaign. Okay. All right. And hey, we appreciate you. Thanks for taking time, man. I know you have a sick one there at the house, and uh, we, Brad, and I know how busy you are, so we're really thankful. Yeah, we, oh, it's yep, okay. Thanks for having you. me, guys. All right, hey, it's good to see Thanks. you. Yeah, Thanks you too. Nice, nice, nice actually meeting you. I've heard a lot about you, so you too. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thanks. All right, Russ, that went by pretty quick. Yeah, he's uh, he's a really such an interesting guy, and let me tell you, in person, he just it makes you. Uh, it's just fun to be around them and their crew. I've, so uh, so why don't we figure up a topic to do a movie on, and we'll just have them make us a movie. Well, I mean, we'll we have some stuff going on. We're going to do our do our own I thing, know. right? We'll, we'll, we'll kick in some cash and make our own movie, right? Yeah, that's right, man. Right. I mean, All right. Bigfoot All right. going wild. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, wide Open Research on Insta, the Bigfoot doc. Please like, uh, subscribe. Yep. Uh, your West there. Virginia Bigfoot page. How many is up there? I see uh, forty four hundred on Twitter and thirty three hundred or thirty four hundred on the West Virginia Bigfoot Facebook page. We're, we're so those numbers there. are creeping. Instagram, we're at around a thousand. Yeah, we're getting there. I appreciate all the help, and uh, uh, I saw that uh, we got a memo last week that's saying there's a lot of. Uh, breaking having record numbers on the podcast and again, yeah. everybody's uh listening so we appreciate all that yeah, yeah. and if you got any ideas comments questions you can email them to me i or russ and i i don't know if i'm going to respond or if it's something stupid, i will just, i will yeah reach out respond. i'm uh i'm available i will not respond or i will <laughs> respond in a sarcastic <laughs> and demeaning manner so anyway all right anyway. well thanks everybody all right. Go ahead. You got here. something to say? I was going to say, and people think I'm cranky. So, anyway. Well, you're trying to smile more. You've been working on it the last six months, right? I, I've, been, I've been working on that. So, all right. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye.